Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. It's good to see so many of your faces here today. Trust that you're experiencing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is that me flicking on and off? Let me see. I'll do a stretch. <laughs> Testing one, two. Okay. Oops. Let's see. It might be Kelly. He says, don't just blame him. For our viewers at home, this is really happening right now. So it's good to have some of these things happen. I think it reminds us that we are not doing some kind of performance up here. And as the mic continues to do that, I'm going to get a new one in just a moment. But what I would like to do this morning is to share with you from the Word of God at the end of what we would consider to be the Christian here. Christian here begins with the season of Advent. Now, in many of our experiences and our backgrounds, perhaps there are those of us who are not familiar with the Christian calendar, and we follow, thank you very much, more of a hallmark type of understanding of keeping time. But Christians have historically learned to live faithfully as those who follow the ways of Jesus throughout the year. And as we prepare for Advent, we <laughs> culminate this church here by reflecting on Jesus Christ as King. This past week, before I read the scripture, on Friday morning, I was sitting at my kitchen table and I was doing some scriptural reading and reading some devotional thoughts. And this prayer was in my devotional reading that I think is so profoundly important this morning for all of us. I'm going to read it. The prayer in my devotion said, Lord, I am painfully aware that I often project my own feelings, opinions, and desires onto you and what I think you are like. Today, I ask you to help me fix my eyes on Jesus and learn more about who he truly is. I want to invite you to stand with me one last time as I read from John's Gospel, chapter 18, 33 through 40. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. Uh, just, just a point of clarification on the wording. Uh, the NRSV uses the word from. Very important because it is more reflective of the original language than uh, other words used. Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. 
If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? <laughs> and after he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, not this man, not this Jesus, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Over the years, I've become very aware that in my following of Jesus, one of the challenges to actually following who he is, is my own expectations, desires, needs, and wants. I think that in the pursuit of knowing Jesus, one of the most important responses that Christians ought to make is to surrender our will in favor of the will of God for our lives. I, I think that it's important to recognize that, that God cares about our needs and God cares about who we are. And many of us have heard many a sermon that speaks to coming and bringing our needs and our requests to God because he is good. Jesus would say, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. But do you know that the very thing Jesus gives us permission to ask, seek, and find is the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It is to discerning the will of God. In fact, Jesus would teach his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before it gets to give us our daily bread. The order in the Lord's Prayer is significant for disciples because if we are to help ourselves not seek a Jesus fashioned in our own need or desire, but to see who he truly is, which by the way is sufficient for our needs, but it is often more than what we are looking for. Then it begins with a prayer like the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come. May I place your priorities before my own. May I place your will before my own. May I seek your ways before you bless me in my ways. And so as a pastor, I, I confess to you that there are times in which over the years, the needs that I carry, the pain of my past, the origins of my life, the experiences that affected me have, have stood in the way of who Jesus truly is. And as we 
end a year together as we anticipate Advent and the excitement and the anticipation that it brings as we long for the Christ who comes to us. Perhaps it's a time for us to begin with surrender. Perhaps it's an invitation to begin this new church here by saying something that disciples have said historically throughout time. May your kingdom come and your will be done. May your way in my life become more significant than what I would like you to do. May your will for my life become more important than even my own desires for what I think I want. May you be glorified. May you be honored. May you receive praise. May you be first. May you be God. May my life find its meaning in my surrender to your will and my faith to believe that when I do so, you will do what only you can do. It begins with surrender. This morning, before I get into the text, perhaps there's a question I'd like you to, to kind of just hold in the back of your mind. What are the things, the wants, the needs, the hurts, the pains, the challenges, the successes, the postures of our lives that stands in the way of discerning who Jesus is? What are the things that are so important to us that it it, it affects what we want to see when we talk about God. Sometimes it can be good things. Things that we desire. God, I, I'm looking for the right partner in life. That's a good thing to pray about. Can everybody say amen? It's a great segue for me to announce an engagement in our church. I, I, I preach towards that point. It's okay to laugh. Jesus is okay with humor. Except when you don't find me funny. But Adam and Faith, I forgot at the beginning of my sermon to acknowledge, but Adam and Faith got engaged this past weekend, and we are so excited to celebrate that with you. Jesus is often wanting to reveal to us who he is, but in order to see him, we must lay down who we desire him to be. So who is the Jesus in the text? Several hours of interrogation, and Jesus is brought before the Roman governor, Pilate. His accusers will not step into Pilate's quarters just prior to the text. This is explained to us because they are Jews, and they are not wanting to ritually defile themselves during the Passover. And the first question that Pilate asks of Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? Now today, for many of us living in Canada, our reference for monarchy and 
for kings and queens are, are perhaps going to put us at a disadvantage to appreciate the question in Jesus' day. Uh, kings in Jesus' day uh, had authority. <laughs> they were not just figureheads. You know, today, some of the monarchs, especially in the Western world, they can't really change policies. They can use their influence, but if they raise their head too high, we all have an aversion to that kind of kingship. But in the day of Jesus, kings ruled, and sometimes with absolute authority. In fact, in the day of Jesus, the Roman emperor was considered to be the king. You did what Rome wanted. You did not displease Rome. You did not displease its emperor. You followed what Rome wanted. Now, there's two primary ways that monarchies are established. One is through succession. In other words, if you're born into a royal family, then you can become the next king or queen. Now, if anybody has studied, especially European history, you know that succession wasn't always that simple. It was pretty messy. But in addition to succession, there, there was this way in which violent revolution could also ensure kingship. In fact, 200 years before Jesus would step into our world, there's this, this, this Jewish revolutionary known as Judas the Maccabean. He, he led a, a revolution against Syria. And, and, and he sought the freedom of the Jewish people. And when he was victorious, he was kind of crowned as a king of the Jews. So succession can ensure kingship, but there's also violent revolution, a way in which we can pursue the position through violent means. In fact, not only did Judas the Maccabean kind of become a king through violence, but we know that in the day of Jesus, Rome could also put some people in place to act kind of as kings. And so Herod the Great, who defeated the Parthians, the Eastern Empire at the time of Jesus, he was kind of allowed to become what they would call him the king of the Jews. Uh, but Herod was only king. And as much as Rome was in control. When Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? I think what he's saying is, he's saying is, uh, who are you asking for? You know, uh, Jesus is, is responding to Pilate's question with a, with a question. Who is who, inspiring your desire to know if I am a king? Is it Rome? Or is it the Jews? If it is Rome, then you're asking if I am a threat like Judas was. But if you're asking on behalf of the Jews, uh, you know, that's a, a bit of a complicated response because I don't think you understand what kind of king I am. Pilate's point of reference was kingship with authority and perhaps power. Jesus would respond in a way that challenges the perspectives of Pilate. In fact, would challenge the perspectives of his disciples until this day. Challenge the perspectives of disciples who seek a particular kind of king when Jesus offers himself very differently. So, as Jesus is being interrogated, 
we learn some things about who he is. The first thing we learn in Jesus' own words in response to Pilate is that he is the king of a kingdom that is not from this world, but it is for this world. Now listen very carefully. This is really important. Sometimes in English translations, we lose the original language, which makes us interpret some of these passages incorrectly. One of the ways in which we misinterpret this passage is when Jesus says his kingdom is not from this world, we immediately think it's some kind of spiritual kingdom that is separated from what happens day to day here. We know this can't be true because Jesus prays, may your, teaches his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. So what is Jesus saying when he's saying, my kingdom is not from this earth? This is what he's saying. My kingdom is not established by anybody here that gives me the authority to be king. My kingdom is not established in the way that kingdoms are established on earth through power or through succession by man. My kingdom does not originate from this world, but it is for this world because this world needs something that is different to its own sense of power, its own understanding of success. This world cannot save itself. It needs a different kind of king than any king it's known. And I am he. The problem today, I'm going to talk about problems for a second, in the Western world is that we'd rather settle for a king that we can define by the power of our world. You know what that looks like? It looks like Christians who become very, very uh, uncertain about their future because they have associated the kingdom in terms of what this world offers in security. The reason why some people, Christians, do not know how to live well during persecution and times of change and unrest and threat is because we assume that to lose power, as the world says we lose power, is to lose what it means to be Christian. You see, when we understand that Jesus' kingdom is not from this world but for this world, we understand that even when it seems that we are winning or losing, we are winning. Some of us uh, may struggle with this in a different way. Some of us may have grown up in a time where we felt that um, the church was on top and everybody respected Christianity. Some of us may have grown up in a season of life in which everything was influenced by the Christian narrative and the Bible. Nowadays, you know, I stepped into my neighbor's uh, 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 living room once, this is a number of years ago, and he asked me what I do, and I said I'm a pastor, and he looked at me like I explained some kind of trigonometry. <laughs> he didn't even understand the concept. I knew this because the next question he asked me was, what is that? And as I explained to him, he wasn't very impressed with what a pastor is. It was probably one of those surreal moments for me where I realized we do not live in a culture that I was even accustomed to growing up in South Africa, a culture that understood the Christian story, at least had a point of reference for it. But can I say this to you? Even when the world changed... Even when political powers change, 
even when it doesn't seem like it's going the, the way that we were accustomed to or would like, there is a king whose authority has been established not by man, not by governments, not by parties, not through anybody in this world, but who gets his authority straight from the Father who has created all things. And because he is king, we have hope. I always say the left-hand side more anointed. I think we fail to grasp who Jesus is when we seek to make him a king in our own liking. We fail to grasp who Jesus is when we seek power over others instead of the willingness to surrender our lives. Not only is Jesus saying that his kingdom is not from this world, but it is for this world. He is saying to Pilate, he is the kind of king who lays down his life so that others may live. There are two particular references in the text that are really important. The first is Passover. All of this happens during Passover. Passover, for those of you who may not know, uh, was a time in which the Jewish people remembered and reenacted what happened when God set them free from Egyptian slavery. Remember, Pharaoh's fist was tight. He held the people in place. He threatened their death if they were ever to rebel and, in fact, killed many of them. And God, through a succession of Different plagues, if we can use that language, loosens the, the grip of a pharaoh who does not want to lose the economic machinery that is the Hebrew people. But God is powerful. And God somehow gets pharaoh to a place where he's going to let the people go and he instructs the Israelites, the Hebrew people, that if you, if you put the blood of an animal on your doorpost, you will be spared. I want to spare you so that I can take you out of what has kept you enslaved. The blood sacrifice represents a life that would be given so that you may not die here in Egypt, but experience freedom. The Passover for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, was a time of remembering that God spares people amidst deathly empires. God saves people even when death pervades and surrounds them. And in particular, the Passover taught them that it, God did so through a sacrificial lamb. The second context that informs this text is uh, Barabbas. I hope there's no Barabbas here, although I think we're all Barabbas. You see, uh, Jesus is the king who lays down his life in this kingdom, not only remembering Passover, but Barabbas, a man who the scriptures defined as a bandit. Now, I have to be honest. Bandits sound cool to me. Perhaps I, it's because I grew up watching The Mask of Zorro. But biblically speaking, bandits were not just thieves, but they killed to get what they want. 
In fact, we have every reason to believe that Barabbas deserved, by the system of justice of Rome in that day, to be put to death. Pilate has found nothing wrong with Jesus. In fact, he says this, I can't find any reason to accuse him. And Pilate says to Jesus, you know, uh, you must have done something wrong, but I really can't see anything wrong in you. And Jesus says, listen, you think I'm a king? Here's who I am. I am the truth. And here's what the truth is. The truth lays down its life for even the Barabbas. The truth does not hold on to power like the kings of this world. The truth surrenders himself, even amidst false accusation, even amidst betrayal, even amidst confusion. This truth lays out his life to save many. I think one of the reasons why we as Christians struggle to understand and see Jesus is perhaps because we like power. We want leaders who have power. We want people who seem impressive. This is perhaps what generates our interest to be with significant people and overlook insignificant ones. It's perhaps why we focus on the wrong kinds of things in our pursuit of Jesus. We focus on those things that we think will make us seem better and stronger, and yet Jesus seems to push back so strongly and says, if you want to know what kind of king I am, then you must see me in this way, as the one who would stand in the place of Barabbas and on that cross in the place of every person who needs the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God. One of the reasons why we struggle with such a Jesus is because we cannot fully understand him apart from his suffering. And if he is a suffering king and invites his disciples to pick up their cross and to follow him, that suffering may be a part of the journey of grace. That learning to walk well when things are tough and difficult is not contrary to seeing or knowing God, but it might become the very place that we apprehend the risen Savior because it is in sharing in his suffering that we know him more. One of the challenges in our culture, in our day, is that we lack an understanding of Jesus as the one who walks the way of suffering for the sake of others. How are you suffering today? How are you learning to walk with the burdens in your life? How are you learning to, amidst the challenges to reputation, uh, amidst the the unfair accusations, amidst the, the disappointment and the pain, uh, amidst the, the sense that, God, I didn't think this is what it would be like. 
How are you doing today as you follow this Jesus who walks through difficult places to bring hope to all? Because it is in walking and following such a Christ that we begin to grasp who God truly is. His kingdom is not from this world, but it is for this world. And he is the kind of king who lays down his life for Barabbas and for us. But you say to me, what does this mean for us today? I'm smiling at Charmaine. She knows why. We had a chat about my preaching. How am I doing, okay? I hate to put you on the spot, but was that 10 out of 10 or 9? Okay. I think it means this. Acknowledging that sometimes what we want is not often what God wants to give us. I think that when Jesus says pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He is teaching us that the ways of knowing God as Father and the ways of knowing Jesus as Son begins not by defining him as the one who meets my need, but the one who is worthy of my obedience. I um, am currently studying. I, I was commiserating with my fellow students because that makes me feel young, first of all, but also relatable, right? Because we all feel the pain of this time of year. And in my first graduate degree that I did, one of the underlying motivations for my studies was this. God, I don't want to lead a church because I need my needs met. <laughs> God, I, I don't want to lead a church and think that the church has to be about everything that Stu feels and wants and longs for. I want to lead a church to do your will. I want to suggest to each one of us, and I want to relate to you in this way. Listen, there's enough things in our history, in our past, in our families to seek a Jesus that would just fix that. And I can say to you that he is gracious. He is merciful, he is responsive, but he is so much more than just what I need. And he invites me to know him, to really know him so that my life would not just be the receptacle for his providence, but the means of his glory. That my life would bear witness to who he is. For some of us, this means truly learning to let go of that which we think is ultimately what we need and to pray this prayer today. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. 
My aspirations, my need to be found as, as someone of importance. My, my desires, my, my wants, my longings. My hurts that have so long defined me. What are the needs, the desires, the wants, the experiences, the hurt that is a stumbling block to seeing Jesus today? I also think that when we start praying this way, we should begin to anticipate that we may discover Jesus in places we never looked for him before. I have had uh, understandings of Christ in moments of despair and challenge. I have seen God in, in the times of my life, certainly when, when I've stood on Table Mountain and said to myself, this is what heaven will be like. But I've also discerned the Jesus who knows loss. When by his spirit he sat next to me in that hospital on the day my family died. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know him through the fellowship with his suffering. I want to suggest to you that God is making himself known to us, not just in moments of worship and in preaching, but in moments of sadness and challenge, in moments of loss and confusion. In moments of faithfulness that cost us more than we are really willing to give up. In moments when life is not fair. In moments when disappointments come. You see, I, I need a Jesus that, that is present in every aspect of my life. And, and when, I, when I make him only present, when I, when I think... That's how he works. I miss his gift in the moments perhaps that I need him most. Let, let me just say this frankly. There will be times in our life where we learn the hard truth that we're really not in control of this life. There will be times in our life where we learn that even when we are faithful to the Lord, we will go through hard things. Painful things, difficult things. But King Jesus in the text says that I am with you in the storm. And not only am I with you in the storm, but you can see who I am in a way that you won't get if you don't walk in faith through the storm. If you don't learn to carry your burdens, to walk humbly, to keep trusting and to keep the faith. Peter could not understand how Jesus could be a Messiah that would die. I'm so like Peter. But like Peter, we can learn to see him not only as a dying Messiah but as a risen Savior. 
how else may this truth be relevant for us today? I would say we, we, we as followers of Jesus need to learn to, to live truth, not just speak it. And to do so even when it's costly. You know, throughout the interrogation of Jesus, he repeatedly is accused of things and his response is the same throughout. I've always said what I've said. I haven't changed my story. In fact, when, uh, when, when, when Pilate says, uh, so, you know, you, you are a king, and, and Jesus says, that's what you call me, but I want to tell you why I'm really here, who I really am. He says, I, I bear witness to the truth. You know what Jesus means when he says that? I think I know what he means. And so does most of the scholars I consulted. I think Jesus is saying is that there's consistency in my life. I've never changed what I've said. I've remained true to it. But I think he's saying more than that. I think Jesus is saying, I embody the truth that God so loved the world that he gave me to this world so that everyone who acknowledges me will be saved. I think Jesus is saying, I will be the kind of truth that gives my life so fully to the Father that the Father's purpose for this world will be fulfilled. Pilate asked, what is truth? We get very excited when we take that first philosophy class. When we develop our already existed, existent cynicism. <laughs> if there's any philosophy profs here, that's not, always, that's not the only thing you teach, I know that. But you know how John's gospel begins? It begins with God making this profound statement that truth is not some abstract philosophical reality, but truth is embodied in the person of Christ, and that truth has come to be with us. I'm tired of... Uh, internet arguments, so I don't argue anymore. I, pay, I put on pictures of bunnies <laughs> and my family. It seems that the church has thought in this day that what it knows is more significant than who it knows. Let me put it to you this way. Truth in Scripture is not given to us on a philosophical or even on a psychological platform. It is given to us in a person called Christ. And if we are to live truth, we must know him. 
We must cling to him. We must worship him. My past has lied too much to who I am today. What I need is not a truth that derives from my own understanding, but a truth that is applied to my life through the person of Jesus, who liberates me from the lies I've been told and sets me free to live the life God has in mind. Do you know him? I want to invite the worship team and I want to ask you the question, do you know this humble king, this Jesus, who embodies a truth that challenges sometimes what we would like him to be? The invitation to be clear this morning is for us to respond to him. Maybe there is someone who needs to say, I, 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 I can't trust what I've believed and thought to be the way. <laughs> I, I, I need to surrender myself to the one who is the way. Stu, I, I, I have been defined by my past. I have been limited by my experience. The answer I seek does not rest within me, but it comes from above. I invite you to stand. And I invite you to uh, use this next song as a, a way of responding to the invitation to know Jesus. And uh, if you can do so and you're willing to do so and you want to pray at these altars, uh, there's one, there's four of them here. So uh, whoever gets here first. But maybe... This morning, someone wants to just put action to faith and wants to bow their knee before King Jesus. Amen.